because the the creativity that someone can put into right a scribble or a drawing or a painting or something like that it might be the conduit to help with the verbal right like understanding of a past experience or current experience or discovering something new right that maybe you saw within the image that you didn't realize about the experience Welcome to the Juggling the Chaos of Recovery podcast, where we focus on health and wellness and overcoming all types of addictions. You're in the right place if you're a mom, dad, sibling, or caregiver who has a loved one who is or was struggling with an eating disorder or any other kind of addiction. In a time where everything seems heavy, I'm here to bring you a very real yet lighthearted take on what the heck we're all supposed to do with our lives while we care for our loved ones who are struggling. One thing holds true throughout it all. You can't juggle the chaos without smiling, at least a little bit. Well, welcome to the podcast, everyone. Uh, thank you for coming back. I'm your host, Moira Gorski. So glad that you come back to listen. Um, I love to share people with you who I meet along the way and certainly that are helping in amongst this um, space of, of course, struggle, mental health struggle. And there's lots of, you know, I've learned through my own struggles as well as my daughter's. There's just lots of therapies. There's lots of ways that we can heal ourselves. And I know you guys have heard me talk about ballroom dance, how that is like becoming this like dance therapy for me because it's more than just, you know, dance for me. It's really a healing modality. And one of my former podcast guest referred me to Allison today. And Allison is working uh, within, again, this field of mental health and helping. Allison Scalara is a licensed clinical professional counselor. She's been in um, counseling for six years and really works with families as well as uh, individuals and uh, teenagers alike, looking at grief, loss, abuse, trauma, uh, depression, anxiety, lots of lots of things, and really what's getting in the way of recovery there. She does a lot of creative therapies, body-focused therapies, which is so important with eating disorders, but really her passion is uh, PTSD, post-traumatic stress disorder, and um, also loves art therapy. So I'm excited to have Allison with us today to talk about her work and how that um, is helping others and how it might help you um, as a listener who might be struggling or just as I like to do, I like to bring people on so that I can understand a little bit more, again, the modalities and the things can that can be used to help other people who are struggling with eating disorders and other type of addictions and things. So with all that being said, thank you, Allison, for joining me today. Welcome to the podcast. Yeah. Hi, I'm excited to join you. Thanks for inviting me. You are very welcome. Glad that uh, um, Ashley told me about you. Um, you know, I, I like to talk about people's story and how they got into what they're doing. And you don't have, you know, necessarily a story of struggle and recovery, but you had some, I mean, you've had some, and I just, I just would love to hear from you again, why you know, why you're so passionate about what you do and kind of how you came about about that in your schooling or in your life and things like that, if you could share that. Yeah, definitely. Um, 
I actually kind of fell into, I guess, the counseling world. You know, when I was in my 20s, I definitely had no really direction (laughs) for where I wanted to be, you know, going in life. It took me a while to get through um, school as far as, again, picking kind of like a, you know, a a career per se and, and where I wanted to go. So I had... I had taken, you know, like gen eds and then took a long break. And then, you know, I was just, again, kind of like lost a little bit for where I wanted to go direction wise. I did end up getting into some minor legal trouble. So then I had to, I had to do some volunteer hours and I chose to volunteer at the children's hospital in the city in Chicago. And I met an art therapist there. And then from then on, that was kind of my um, open door to being, you know, directed into that field of counseling. Um, And then, yeah, I finished up undergrad at DePaul and then I went to Adler and, you know, then got my degree there. And that's kind of how I like fell into it. So it was a little bit by chance, (laughs) you know? Yeah, absolutely. Well, I don't think there's any coincidences in life. So, you know, somebody even through the bad, uh, saw that there was a good something on the other side of things, right? Right. Yeah, definitely. That's, yeah, that's how kind of the initial like passion, you know, struck. Mm-hmm. Well, and people that might um, be listening, they would think maybe, again, I think many are, they know about traditional talk therapy and things like that. And even people may know about, um, DBT and all those different things with letters and things like that with different types of therapy. But give us a little understanding of like, how would you, I mean, how would art be? I know I've participated in some art therapy sessions with my daughter. Um, Sometimes our family has gone. um, So I kind of understand a little bit, but explain, you know, how could that, how could drawing a picture have any bit of help of you overcoming some kind of struggle in your life. Right. Yeah. I think it's definitely, you know, it comes through the repetition maybe of, you know, drawing or creating artwork because the the creativity that someone can put into, right, a scribble or a drawing or a painting or something like that, it might be the conduit to help with the verbal right? Like understanding of a past experience or current experience or discovering something new, right? That maybe you saw within the image that you didn't realize about the experience or, um, so I think it's kind of a way to just like uncover maybe what can't be verbally described all the time, you know, Mm -hmm. um, which is massive, right? In, in a lot of mental health and or PTSD or trauma, right? I mean, you can't always be putting everything into words all the time (laughs) Mm -hmm. because it is so emotion-based right and and emotion barrier based which again ties up ties in a lot with just art in general you know Mm -hmm. so a barrier that's in that's getting us blocked to share our emotions is that what you mean by that Yes, yes, definitely. So yeah, like, you know, like you were mentioning how, you know, how can it be kind of a a conduit for change is, is right. Yeah. So creating something that comes from you um, in relation to maybe some experience and then trying to put meaning to it or discovering something new about it or right. Like things of that nature. Mm -hmm. Well, and I've seen it with, um, I think we've, many of us seen it like 
it's one of those detective shows or whatever. And they have the little kids in the classroom and somebody's like, oh, they don't know how to talk about it, but here, here's some dolls to play with. Right. Or, you know, that kind of thing. It's right. kind of, kind of the same idea, right. That like kind of act it out, play it out, draw it out sometimes. Yes, definitely. That's, you know, to a T that again, it just helps with the processing pieces because yeah, not everything can be put into, into words, you know? Mm. So even if I get, yeah, a visual, a visual piece of work from somebody, I mean, I might have a totally different meaning or take on it than they do. Right. So obviously the focus is on what they, you know, have their meaning to it. Um, But sometimes, yeah, other people can point out, you know, things that they notice about it. And then people are like, Oh, you know, mm-hmm. I didn't even think about it that way. Or, so it, it, it does kind of have like a CBT type of, right? Like mm-hmm. reframe mentality to it. Yeah. I mean, artwork just provides so much, so much brings to the table. Right. Well, and I found too, when we had different sessions, if you will, like with our family, or um, I think a couple of times there was like, we could go visit and it was kind of all the families together and anybody that came to visit and we did some art therapy. And right. I remember, you know, them saying, okay, draw this, draw this. And so we each drew it from our perspective. And even if it was something like, this popped into my head when you're talking, like, okay, what did it look like at meal times in your house? Or what did it look like in, you know, during this time in your house? And so it was, it was different people's perspectives, a daughter's perspective, a mom's perspective, a sibling perspective. And it was really interesting to look at. And then we, of course, shared them all. So interesting, not only in the difference between the like mother and daughter or sibling, but also some similarities when we're dealing with eating disorders, some similarities in the other families, like how they all, there was some similarities in how the household looked around mealtime. So very insightful there. Definitely. And too, I think that there's a big factor of, of memory with visual slash imagery, right? Like, God, I can't remember what somebody told me weeks ago. Right. But like, I can remember somebody's art piece you know, and like, and then the emotions that I felt when I saw it or, right. So it just has that like difference of connector. Yeah. And if you're doing something in session with somebody, right. And you're like, holy moly, I didn't realize that you were visually seeing it from that perspective. And now I feel that, or I can connect with that. Right. Mm -hmm. Yeah. It's, it's different. Mm -hmm. Well, and I think that again, when going back to the being on the detective show, I mean, they're often they're little kids that don't know how to really have those words and emotions. But I think even you and me, I mean, we're, we're certainly different ages, but um, sometimes I don't know how to say the things that are, that I need to say. And uh, I know that sometimes if I haven't shared, you know, and kind of kept things inside, it's like sometimes, yeah, I don't know how to say, I don't know how to say it so that it comes across like in the best way without being hurtful or sounds like I'm blaming or whatever that I've done plenty of (laughs) therapy in my life, you know, but um, it doesn't have to be necessarily just for the little kids. It can be really for adults, any ages and things like that. 
Yes, definitely. I think there is kind of like a stigma to it a little bit of, right? Like, oh yeah, it's just for children and it's just for kids. But I think we kind of grow out of that, like, you know, that creativity of, of forming artwork in some way as children, right? You don't do it for a long time. And then you have these like I specific identity. I'm not good at it, or I don't do any artwork or right. And so that's kind of like some of the barriers of placing it on like, well, it's just for kids Mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. (laughs) and not for me. I can't draw or I can't, you know, all all of the other excuses, but everybody has creativity. Mm -hmm. I mean, there's not one single person that doesn't have creativity in some form or in some way. Mm -hmm. Yeah. Some just have more talent in that area than others. And I almost feel, again, just from my experience myself with, with dance, um, I've just been doing it since August of last year. And I find that it's part of the struggle is, and what I try to work on is to, is to just be there in the moment in that, in that dance. And that's much more of a connection with my heart and the emotions of it, as opposed to thinking, because they'll always say to me, my instructors, stop thinking so much, just like feel the music and go with it. So I feel like, you know, there's got to be some, is there some correlation with, again, that art and that creativity that you're connecting more with your heart and thus your emotions, as opposed to trying to figure things out in your head? Yeah, yeah, I completely agree with that. I think too, that that's a piece of, you know, mental health where you get so distanced from maybe, you know, your core self or your true self. And, and that's where that creativity piece can maybe possibly help, you know, unlock that or connect with that. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Well, and I, again, I don't have to always go back to me, but I think about, again, the years of, you know, you just struggle with the kids and the family and things like that. And often I would just, and with just again, living in my head too much and not connecting with that, just kind of closing things off. And, you know, again, just with me, I know that, you know, my heart was getting broken in lots of different ways. And so kind of closing that off and closing off that creativity, numbing myself out a little bit there I didn't realize that as much until I started to dance and still as things started to open up and still it's going to take a little while (laughs) with some of it, but yeah, definitely. Yeah. Yeah. So when we talk about trauma and PTSD, so many people say, Oh, PTSD, they think of, Oh, the war veteran and things like that. So, but it's not, it's not just somebody that came home from war, right. That has some, drama in front of them, war, gunshots, seeing people die. So let's talk about that, you know, that concept of trauma and PTSD and really what that can mean um, for, you know, or again, what that population is that it's not just that, but who else is that? Or how does that really, what's that definition of PTSD or trauma, if that makes sense? Right. Yeah. Yeah. Um, a very, very good point, I think, to, to talk about, right, the, the differences between, um, you know, both trauma and PTSD, but also, yeah, who, who it affects. I think there's this massive, right, like stigma of it's only, you know, veterans or it's only people who have gone off to war. Hopefully that's changed a little bit, you mm-hmm. know, nowadays. But um, yeah, I mean, the other, the other, 
people per se that it affects is, I mean, right. It's anybody who has experienced physical abuse, sexual abuse, exposure to death, hearing about death. I think there was, I I read the other day that it was, yeah, over 8 million adults have PTSD in any given year. I think that's from the National Center for PTSD. So it's a lot, right? That like, maybe we don't fully realize, you know, who it, who it all affects. And also the, the, right, the difference, differentiating terms of trauma and PTSD, right? Trauma is the actual event that happens. And the PTSD piece is the re-experiencing of the event or events, you know, in a multitude of ways, obviously that can look different for everybody, but for the clinical side of it, it's, it's re-experiencing either the event or events through flashbacks, nightmares, memories, avoidance of places, people, thoughts, anything that's like a reminder of the event. So that's where those kind of like split off, right? I think technically, right, almost everybody, I would say, experiences some type of traumatic event in their life, but not everybody develops, right, like PTSD. And there's tons of research out there for like, you know, the whys. But they're still, right, I mean, they still don't know, you know, for for who develops PTSD um, from trauma events. And then there's other terms of like complex PTSD, right? Which means that you're experiencing traumatic events in a longstanding pattern. And then there's just kind of like the general quote unquote PTSD, where it's like, you know, a person develops um, PTSD from one traumatic event, which I've found that usually isn't the case with, you know, people that I've seen you know, one person doesn't come in saying, hey, I have this one traumatic event that's really been getting in the way. Not to say that that doesn't exist, right? But yeah, usually it's like a longstanding pattern of, you know, domestic domestic violence or child abuse or sexual abuse or something like that. Well, and I know that I've said in on this podcast too, sometimes it's the um, little T trauma or the big T trauma you know, because I know that sometimes it can be, again, the um, the divorce or the emotional or the, you know, abuse. But sometimes it can be just that, um, not just, but just, uh, I keep saying that, but it can be an emotionally absent parent, right? Or yeah. a busy household where there's just not enough love shown and uh, someone feels like they just never got the attention or, you know, 10 children and, you know, those, so those can be like little T traumas, if you will. Right. Right. Yeah. And it is, it's, it's definitely difficult to, because of the way, right. The, the DSM, the diagnostic, you know, like manual that we work off of for diagnosing people, it sucks to be able or to not be able to be like, okay, your trauma isn't necessarily quote unquote clinical. But it, but right, like for the person, it sure probably feels like it. So yeah, I mean, recognizing, yeah, recognizing that it felt traumatic and it might not be a clinical, you know, trauma is, is, you know, a-okay. Yeah. Well, I mean, you saying that my, it just made me think of my husband, talk to him about like one of the first therapists my daughter was at here locally. And she said, 
you know, as we're trying to figure things out with our daughter, the therapist said, well, it would be easier if she had something like a rape or a trauma that, you know, because I was like, are you kidding me? Mm -hmm. I mean, it was just so I was like, okay, we're never going back to her. I mean, I can understand the perhaps the very rational thinking in that in being a nurse that like, okay, when you have somebody that has a broken bone, these are the things that you follow, right? Or you have somebody with rape, perhaps these are things. But it was so like, right, so off putting. And so I think unprofessional and well, so many things like right. what? Yeah, I could. I have a lot of opinions. <laughs> that, but, um, <laughs> um, it is. It, it regardless of if it's right, little T or clinical trauma, they, they both have distorted kind of perspectives and maybe like the guilt and shame and right. So I mean, they all have the kind of like groundwork that's like similar to even if it would be like clinical considered, right or as far as emotions go, mm -hmm. you know, maybe not necessarily like the symptoms that are present, but yeah, I mean, emo emotion-based, I would feel like that they would maybe have, you know, some connectors, obviously. Right, right. I mean, you could say that somebody had an emotional affair versus an actual physical affair. Well, there's still a lot of the same type of, you know, I don't know. It's It was many years ago, but boy, we both remember that. And it was like that last time that we saw that she saw that therapist. Cause it's like, that's not really. Yeah. Helpful. <laughs> that, and, and now that you mentioned that I've been thinking about, yeah, the past people that I've worked with and, and they are, I've heard, you know, from a decent amount of people, it's the, the lack of validation, right. Whether it is a specific type of trauma, you know, that somebody has an opinion about where the, the person who experienced something that was traumatic shouldn't be invalidated in any way, you know, like mm -hmm. it's just kind of creating that circular, that circular negative, <laughs> mm -hmm. you know, type of thing for, for that person, I think. So, mm -hmm. well, and I think that that's what we all want. And certainly people that are struggling with something like they just want validation that okay, I, I understand, right? And let's talk about, let's talk about that. But I understand even though, or I hear you, right? right? I hear you. I may not necessarily understand that, but I hear you because I, again, there's been some frustration when we hear the same things repeated again, sometimes in, in therapy or treatment or some visit with, uh, it's like, there she goes, bringing it up again. And it's like, yeah, but there's, I think there's some value in validating and hearing and like, okay, or just even from us as parents to, un okay, help us understand therapist, you know, why is this important or why does she keep bringing it up and how can we get to the point that she, for she or he forgets about that or can put that in the past and necessarily forget about it, but perhaps put it in the past to not, and to move forward. And perhaps that's what you talk about. Like when you talk about emotional barriers, you know, that, that something gets in the way that keeps from moving forward into a full recovery or feeling that you're stepping into that place. Right. Yeah. I think that the main something is the avoidance, you know, of, of the emotions of the people, of the places, of the reminders of the thoughts, right. That then it just grows. I mean, the avoidance definitely is a big factor of, you know, the symptoms or, or your, uh, view of how you were in the event, right? That just is stuck, 
and it stays there or it gets bigger, right? Like, right. You know, and then filters out into other things, possibly, right? Like addictions or eating disorder, right? Think things of that nature or relationship barriers. Or, right? I mean, it, it just can filter out into so much. Mm-hmm. So, yeah, I think that's a big piece, you know, of the, the, the emotional barriers, right? Are just, they're stuck there, you know, mm. due, to, due to avoidance. Mm. Yeah. So talk about a little bit, I asked you to um, just kind of share with us today. I think it helps people kind of understand again, how this type of therapy can work is to just talk about, you know, with the name change to protect the innocent, um, you know, just to talk about perhaps someone who you've been able to help kind of how they were beforehand and how this therapy, you know, can help and, and, and uh, what she found or he found on the other side of things. think that'd be helpful to hear it is it's so hard to pick one person (laughs) um but I was I thought you know I I have you know the Rolodex of memory and I'm trying to go through I'm like my god who you know who can I be who can I be talking about but there is this one person that yeah that sticks out and she had I think she had gone through you know like the the norm talk therapy before and she wanted to you know try out prolonged exposure and when she came in she had pretty severe avoidance didn't want to even you know write out the event on paper and when we work with prolonged exposure with clients you know you you have to be saying the trauma narrative, you know, out loud, also with your eyes closed. So you're kind of like back in it. So there's a ton of people, right? And and I I would also be like, no, <laughs> I'm not doing that. I don't want to do that. Right. But so, yeah, she had pretty severe avoidance of just the, you know, retelling of the event. Um, she had a lot of triggers, you know, that were involved with like romantic relationships, uh, relationships with children, trusting others, kind of exacerbating fears of rejection, abandonment, distortions of attachment, distortions of like her view of herself, right? Um, Which affected like self-esteem and identity and all that. She also had a lot of conflicting thought patterns, which we dug into, you know, during the prolonged exposure processing and kind of filtered those out with, again, what was factually, um, you know, on the table and not just, you know, emotion-based. And then, so as we were, you know, doing that, the the prolonged exposure process for her of retelling her narrative, I believe was about 12-ish weeks, but she worked very, very hard. And she, uh, you know, did the exposure work as far as creating, creating exposures, right. In a behavioral way to be facing the the triggers that she was avoiding on top of the processing of the event in repetition um, and kind of teasing out, right. That web of guilt, shame, abandonment, uh, you know, I mean, making those connectors and yeah, she, I, she had updated me, you know, after the treatment and she chose to not do therapy, after that and I think she's in like New Zealand now with her family 
So, <laughs> which was one of her like dreams that she wanted to travel and like, you know, go live in, you know, a new place and, and things like that. She had, yeah, gone on this kind of like spiritual, you know, kick of learning different, yeah, ways to connect spiritually. And so, so it, it not going to lie, right? I mean, it, her and everybody else who is involved in prolonged exposure, it's a little bit like they're sitting with the torture, right, of, of those emotions while they're doing the processing. But the aftermath of it is beautiful. I mean, like what I've seen, you know, people's successes with it. So, yeah, that's kind of the basis of, you know, mm-hmm. how she came in. And then, you know, she obviously worked very, very hard in in the processing pieces. And, um, yeah, she was able to heal a lot of things through, again, not not giving into, you know, the avoidance of of wanting to avoid all of those, right. yeah. you know, those triggers, those emotions, those experiences, talking about it, I mean, all that stuff. So she's doing great. Yeah. Yeah. That's a good example. And um, I've been exposed to that exposure, learned about exposure work in a couple of, um, you know, Rogers is really good at that for eating disorders and OCD. And it was, again, it was an interesting concept. I didn't really think about it, but as like, say, for instance, with someone with an eating disorder and, you know, anxiety around eating, you know, I think it's easier to understand, sometimes easier to understand, like, it's just a matter, okay, you have a hard time ordering when you go out, you know, for lunch with your friends. Well, guess what, we're going to go out to lunch with our friends, (laughs) you know, your friends, i.e. therapist and other people in treatment, that type of thing are in your program. And then you expose yourself to that, right, that thing that is causing you that anxiety but like what you're saying and can happen is that you're in a safe space. You're with somebody that you can process that with and right. say, okay, what's coming up for you? Why are you so anxious? Why are you crying? Why are you this? Why are you that? And just having that space to, like you say, dissect it, pull it apart. You know, let's talk about your anxiety or let's talk about whatever. I'm not the therapist, but I've just, you know, seen right. enough of that. But I, and I think it's just, it's really neat work when you, yeah. I didn't, I hadn't, I didn't know about that. I didn't learn about that in nursing school with traditional psychotherapy and psych nursing and stuff like that. Right. Yeah. I know. I, I think that it is a, a main thing of just, right, like talk therapy and it's not necessarily behaviorally focused, which is a huge piece, right? To, to decreasing the anxiety you've got to do you got to do with the behavior. You could talk about it, right? Mm -hmm. And yeah, maybe that will decrease anxiety in a small way. But yeah, if it doesn't have the behavioral piece connected to it, it's like unsure, right? Where the progress will will be moving um, for that specific person. So yeah. Mm. Yeah. Well, and even again, doesn't have to necessarily be going out to eat. It can be, I've seen that with with Roger's work, I mean, they have, they have their patients go up to somebody's office when there's been a trauma with finding your voice or to certain things. And then they, I'm, you know, as I learned about this, I'm like, wow, those people that work there, they got to do, you know, they're being open to like somebody coming, talking to them about a certain thing, or I've seen it even that they had that like staff member, the person, you know, they were, they acted like the patient did. Right. 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 And, and said the things that that patient would normally say. And so that patient could hear 
like how that sounds like, oh, wow, that's really, you know, that's really silly or figure out a way that you can combat. I don't know. I find exposure work very fascinating and yeah. I know it is very, very effective. Yes, definitely. I mean, hard work, but. Definitely hard work. I agree. But it, I think it reaps the most benefits, you mm-hmm. know, for the hard work. I mean, you can, you can see people change through, right. The behavioral changes that they're making within the moment. So not only on their end, are they, yeah, reaping the benefits of the actual change and not just talking about it, you know? Mm-hmm. Yeah. It's, it's can be very satisfying and it sets that person up for, it's kind of that we talked, we talk about that on this podcast is like, finding things to put in your tool belt, you know, or um, just establishing, and it could be establishing a healthier habit of some kind. So you've got that, you you feel like when you go out, you've got your tool belt and you feel secure, a little bit more secure than you used to um, in life, because if you're getting exposed to this, you know how to handle that. Right. Because you know, you've practiced it enough. Right, exactly. Which again is is same pretense as right prolonged exposure and kind of the the repetition of telling the narrative, right? So, hey, I've cognitively now straightened out this narrative from and and changed it from what I had been stuck on before, right? Through through verbally, behaviorally, right? Like talking about it. So, yeah, it has, you know, again the same the same types of effects. Do you, have there been any um, books or different programs or things like that that you tend to like tell your clients about a lot that's something that they can do kind of outside the time that you're there, that they're there with you or anything like that that's, you know, that again, someone hearing this could say, well, that would be something that I could pick up and read or maybe something I could pick up and do. Are there any of those kind of like resources that are available? Yeah, I have given clients in the past, you know, some book references. I know everybody in the trauma world, like, has read the, you know, Body Keeps the Score. Mm -hmm. Um, It's just a very informative book, you know, for, for people trying to understand just how it affects, right, brain, body. I mean, like... And, and he just does great research, the, the writer of that book. And, and, and that's another piece, right, of, of the healing is, oh, this isn't just me. This is, right, like somebody wrote a book about all of the things that, you know, that I've been experiencing. Um, that's a, it's a great resource, a great read. And then, yeah, I, anything with movement. So I know you were talking about dance. I mean, they've got yoga, yoga therapy that, you know, that's trauma informed. Again, connecting with body can do a lot with, you know, reversing effects of um, PTSD, you know, when people experience dissociation states for a long period of time, right. And then doing breathing or yoga, you know, something along, along those lines, that's like trauma informed, I would say would be my two, my two go-tos for suggestions. Yeah. I um, was just looking at my notes here because somebody, I interviewed somebody this week and they were talking about a couple of types of yoga that I'd never heard of. And um, of course I'm not going to be able to find it now, but um, um but I know enough with my work with 
just not my work, but my experience with yoga myself, that it's amazing. Like how you I really, I've heard that book so many times on this podcast. I really should go get it and read it. There is so much emotion trapped in our bodies. And if yoga has taught me anything, that's one thing that it's taught me is that, you know, before you know it, I am crying in yoga, like when I'm in the pigeon pose and I'm like, what is going on? And I almost, I went the other day and, um, you know, it was just a couple of little bleeps of like a little emotion when I was in a certain pose. And, um, but when I went back to, I mean, I've been doing yoga for many, many years, but of course with this shutdown, we've been at home and the studios have been closed or you had to do it with a mask. And I'm like, I'm not going to do hot yoga, like 105 degrees with a mask on. So no, thank you. (laughs) So as these places have opened up and given us the ability to, you know, practice safe distance and all that, but without a mask, I've gone back to one of my favorite studios. And the first day I went back, I mean, it's so hot in there. That's what I love it. And I was crying just throughout the whole time, just as an emotional release. And, you know, and then I listen, I just love this, these instructors, you know, they give you a little something to think about at the beginning and, um, you know, and mantra or something, or just some type of two or three sentences. And then you think about that and you set your intent. I was just crying, to the home, but I felt great. Like it's such a wonderful release. That's why I go back there. I'm like, they're like, well, you can do virtual membership. I'm like, I don't want to do a virtual membership. I want to be here because there's, you know, there's power in, at least for me, in the heat and the darkness of the room and just like being so connected and hearing the music and all of that. And right. um, yeah, yeah, it was um, a lot of release there. Yeah. I think that right in, in traditional therapy, it's just treating, you know, we have this view of just treating mind, you know, but that's not the case. I mean, they're all connected, right? Mind and body are very, very, very closely connected. Mm -hmm. Uh, So yeah, I mean, implementing both of them should be, you know, along the healing process, I would think. Yeah. Well, and I also, when, um, I used to get a massage every month just as my self-care and found a wonderful uh, therapist here. But of course that all stopped right a year or so ago. And so when things started to open up so that he could see clients, he contacted me and said, you know, come on in and he said, but it's only 30 minutes. I'm like, okay. And so I made the appointment and then went in by the time I was able to uh, see him for the appointment, he said, well, we can have, it's really unlimited time. So often I would have a 90 minute. I said, fine, give me all the time, you know, 90 minutes. And the last 10 minutes, I literally, <laughs> I mean, I started crying and it was just this. Cause he said it, you know, he always says, how are you feeling? How are you doing? I'm like, I can't even speak, but it was this feeling of like the love. He's such a wonderful therapist, but just the love that you could feel from him transferred to me, you know, not in a weird way, but just that love of like what he does and that healing power of touch. And like, just that release, I was like, oh my gosh. And, you know, we had been, I don't know, several months of being cooped up and forced to be away from people and forced to be away from that touch. And what a, I just tell that story a lot. I'm like, man, I was a mess at the end, but it was just this beautiful release that obviously needed to get out. And it was just from that, 
moving my <laughs> my body, you right. know, somehow. But, but interesting, right? Because he had you had body involved, and then he was also verbally checking in. So maybe, right? You had both of those kind of aligned of like, oh, okay, where am I at? But like my body is involved also, right? So mm-hmm. then, and then it's like you know, pow, release of whatever mm-hmm. kind, you know, kind of like pops up. Mm-hmm. Yeah. yeah, yeah. I truly believe that that is a you know a a factor of of healing. You know, is involving. And especially with trauma, you know, just mm-hmm. involving body in some way through breathing or movement or yoga, you know, things of that nature. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Well, and I've also done holiopath, holio something or other breathing, like healing, breathing, like hour of breathing a certain way in and out. And like what it, um, there's a particular, I can't remember it now, but there's a particular uh, gentleman who came up with the therapy be of anyway but it's that breathing holio holiopathic holio wim you know hoff? that we yeah, have wim hoff yeah right yeah. Mm-hmm. Yep. yeah i have yeah. I've, <laughs> I've asked people to you know download his app and you know try it because again i mean i think it has the benefits of you know regulating nervous system and connecting with body and right all of those all of those factors that mm-hmm. become yeah uh, you know issues yeah. Yeah. And I think as we wrap things up, I mean, I hope that people have heard that there's just, there's different ways of, again, treating our traumas, if you will, um, than just traditional talk therapy. And, and so hearing that and hopefully providing some hope for others that listen to that, that it's, and it doesn't have to be that you have an eating disorder or you're an alcoholic. I mean, it can be these other things that could be Again, keeping you emotionally closed off to the rest of your life, perhaps. Right. Yeah, mm-hmm. I agree with that. That things are, yeah, usually not somebody comes in with one, you know, hey, I know it's this. Mm-hmm. And this is all that I have to like do and, and work on. It it does become like complex layers, you know. Mm-hmm. So I agree with that. Yeah. How can people find you if they are interested in connecting with you? You are in the Chicagoland area, although you're probably doing virtual appointments too, right? Yes. Yes, I am. Um, They can either email or call. Um, And and then I am hopefully going back in the office soon, you know, uh, within the next couple of months. But yeah, currently doing, currently doing virtual. Mm Mm-hmm. Okay. And you'll see all that in the the show notes. I'll put the, the way to connect with you, Allison, too. So much great information. Um, and I'm always fascinated by by learning. As people know on this podcast, I half of it's for me, so I can learn a little bit more, uh, too. And um, uh, any last words kind of for those that are listening, just um, that you perhaps didn't share or just kind of want to reinforce as yeah. we close up today? And kind of, yeah, bound or piggybacking off of what you had mentioned. I mean, yeah, I, I wouldn't necessarily be labeling, right? Like maybe what it is that that I am or um, what I'm diagnosed with, right? But to just be patient with the process and and the and I know it can get frustrating because there is so many things out there, right? To be to be doing and and trying, but. 
Um, since there is so many things that are out there as far as therapy goes, um, just trying to dip into, right, as many of them as you can and see kind of like what takes and to be patient. I know it's hard to be patient because people want to, you know, get better. But yeah, the being being patient piece is a big factor, I think, to like the healing process and not putting so much pressure, right, like mm-hmm. on how you should be or you should change and things like that. Yeah. And how fast it should happen. And yeah, you know, there's lots of layers that, you know, I spoke with a a gal on this podcast, one of the first ones, Jill Reynolds. I mean, she had years of in and out of treatment, but it was like, okay, she took care of her, took care if you will, but she healed her codependency here. And then she lived with that for a while. And then she had to heal her eating disorder. And I don't know, I don't remember the the order of it, but it was that idea that, okay, get, take care of some things and then go live your life. And, oh, I guess I still have an issue here. So then go take care of that. So, and that's okay. There's no shame in that. Right. Yeah. I completely completely agree with that. Unfortunately, right. There's not like a one-stop shop of, Mm -hmm you know, like doing everything at once with one person, you know, mm-hmm. or one place. Mm-hmm. So yeah, being open. Yeah. Right. Yeah. Different things. And, and that, um, and that it's going to take some time. And also, you know, if you find a therapist and it's not working for you, then try, try another one. Cause there's a whole, there's a whole bunch of them out there and it's a matter of, you know, having that trust relationship with them, you know? Right. right. So, yeah. And there's no, there's nobody regulating who's a therapist. So, mm. so yes, yeah, definitely. yeah, we got that going on too. So definitely look for yeah, a, a an appropriate fit, of course. Right, right. Do some interviewing and things like that. That yes. I don't think enough people talk about that. That it's okay to go to a few different ones Decline to see away. Yeah. Yes, Just yeah, see who fits you for sure. Yeah. Yeah. Well, thank you, Allison. I appreciate you being with me today. I really do. And loved learning from you. And I know the audience um, did as well. So um, again, I'll put um, the connection to Allison in the show notes so you can find her if you want to check out her work or see if she might be a fit for you in your, your recovery and things like that. So thanks for joining me today. Again, thanks again, listeners. Please do share these episodes. Give us a five-star rating. We all love that because it's not about me. It's about me being able to get this message out to other people who need to hear it. So appreciate all of that. Appreciate you coming back and listening and we'll talk to you next time. Thanks for listening. If you like this podcast, head over to iTunes and leave me a five-star review. Share it with others and make sure you hit the subscribe button so you don't miss a thing. I've got a tribe over on Facebook, so head over there and search for Juggling the Chaos of Recovery Podcast Tribe. And do you know somebody who has a story, a story to share, a story of recovery and hope, please let me know as I'd love to feature them as a guest on one of these next upcoming podcasts. And perhaps you're looking for a community of like-minded, collaborative, and supportive people who cheer each other on as we strive to improve our lives. If that sounds like something you've been looking for, schedule some time with me. You'll find the links in the show notes. Let's talk and let me help you find your way. And I'm here to tell you that you're worth it.